the whole current restaurant structure has been built by men. So it's not that women that women haven't been in charge for hundreds of years before all this of food making around the world. It's just that the current structure that's adapted from mostly European white males is the same structure that we're living with right now. How can we change the media's myopia around it is by something like this film, because now there's such it's so much easier to broadcast to a wider net um, through the Internet, um, through YouTube and things like that. So, yeah, having us have more uh, FaceTime with young women out there will will start to change the the dynamic, I think, where, yes, you see more female chefs, so you see them out there and you can aspire to, you know, do something like them. So I think a movie like Her Name is Chef is, is, you know, a start. Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome to episode 73 of the Flavors Unknown podcast. In the episode today, we have three guests from the documentary Her Name is Chef. Peter Ferriero, the film director, Chef Elizabeth Faulkner, and Chef Juliet Masters from the restaurant The Edge in Harlem, New York. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche, and if you are new to this podcast, I have been in the food industry both in Europe and in the US for more than 20 years, and every other week, I have conversations with trending chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists to understand their path to success, their challenges, and how their cultural heritage shape their creative process. In the episode today, we cover the two main topics from the documentary, Her Name is Chef the cliches of the restaurant industry, how these two chefs broke the doors to earn the title of chef, and the legacy of Chef Fatima Ali, who passed away in 2019. If you haven't watched this documentary, you can do it on Amazon Prime, Hulu, Vimeo On Demand, Apple TV, and Vudu. Today, we have two of the chefs featured in the documentary, Elizabeth Faulkner, she is a world-renowned chef who has been a driving force in the kitchen since 1990, and she has been a previous guest on my podcast on episode 63. And Juliet Master, who is the executive chef and owner with her sister Justin at The Edge in Harlem, a restaurant whose menu is based on her Jamaican and British heritage. So hi, everyone, and welcome to uh, Flavors Unknown. I'm really excited to have you here today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you have to jump. Is this thing on? Yeah. <laughs> the thing is on. You are on. It's live. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Yeah, so uh, welcome, Juliet, to uh, Flavor Unknown. Welcome, Elizabeth. Welcome again. Thank and you. then welcome, Pete. So let's start maybe with uh, digging that directly into the topic with you, Pete. So we obviously are going to talk about the documentary that has been aired, you know, several months back. It's called Her Name is Chef. What made you do this documentary? And can you tell us about what it is about? You know, I was actually I was sitting at a restaurant just eating lunch at some place in New Jersey. And it was a, a woman had taken over the restaurant from what I can assess of it. and 
she was talking to, I guess, a plumber or someone that was working on in the restaurant. And he was just giving her a really hard time about just basic questions that anybody would ask. What did you do? She was just trying to get some information, you know. And then she was on the phone and she was talking to somebody and she was like, no, I'm, I'm the owner. I am the owner. And I was just like taken back by why is this woman having to deal with so much stuff where if I was talking to him or the, 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 the guy behind the you know counter was talking to him, he would just answer the questions. So I walked to the counter and she had this little sign that said girl boss. And I was just like, mm, that's very interesting. I was like, I wonder if there is more to this story because I'm just, you know, and I'm a, documentary person by nature. And so I'm always kind of inquisitive and thinking about that kind of stuff. And then, of course, in the coming weeks, you know, things started to develop and the national stories about things that were coming out about, you know, what was happening in the restaurants and all that. And I said, Oh, my God, this is a story. And I do want to tell it. And I want to find the best female chefs. And I did not have a problem finding female chefs because there's just so many of them all over the, the country that inevitably I was like, well, I'm going to just stick to New York, New Jersey. <laughs> because it's way easier to limit it that way. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and this is how you selected the, the six women uh, chef that uh, were on the, on the show, correct? Well, it's like, it's like Major League Baseball. I was like, my first choice is Elizabeth Faulkner. I want her in this documentary because, yeah, of course. because she, she, she embodies the movement in so many ways. And she's, you know, she had been speaking about it. I, you know, I went into deep research on who had been talking about it and who had had stories and whatnot. And, you know, I really, really wanted her to be involved. And so once Elizabeth came on board, I guess everything else, everybody else just kind of like fell into place. And of course, you know, then Fatima Ali was in, in the film too. That was really important to, to have her in it. She was just coming off of Top Chef. She had at that time defeated cancer, I guess. You know, she was doing well with it. And, you know, obviously that took a turn. We could talk about that later. And then in terms of Juliet, I think, I think we have had a producer who was like, you know, searching around for others and we're looking all over. And uh, she's like, there's these two really cool sisters in Harlem that we have to talk to. And as soon as we met up with them, I was just like, I love these. I love them. We need them in this documentary. And so, yeah. And Caroline came from, you know, from somebody else. And the host, Leah, I had been to her restaurant a couple of times. Yeah, in Morristown. Yep. Yeah. And, and Hillary Sterling came from Elizabeth. We, we had dinner there, I think, at that restaurant. And she's just so cool. And, and then, you know, you know, you get to learn everybody's stories and, you know, they're just Really so how did how why did you make the story in a way that Leah is in fact almost like the lead and talking to each of the other the other chefs so what was it about why why did you build it this way I think it was about the fact that I wanted a female voice to be a female chef voice to be connecting with the female chefs in it because I thought they would understand each other's language and what they had been through And it's something that I would not be able to relate to. I'm not a chef. I'm not a female. So I wanted somebody to sort of help guide the conversations and could just throw down and say what they wanted. I wanted Elizabeth to be in the film. You know what I mean? Because she's got a, a storied career. So, uh, so Leah seemed really, really great. I had been to her restaurant. She's very personable. She's, you know, she's kind of, you know, new to hosting maybe, but I liked that idea that she would also be going on a journey and learning, growing from the experience as well by meeting all these, all the chefs. Yeah. 
It's funny, I, I, I had as well Leah on the podcast together with another chef on, you know, from New Jersey. And we did like a panel discussion about the, the pandemic. And I've been several times to her restaurant, Southern Pine, you know, in, in Morristown. But, you know, you mentioned something interesting because so you had no problem to find, you know, women chef. And it connected me with one thing that Elizabeth said during the podcast, which is that there's women chefs everywhere. It's very easy to find women chef. But still, when you look at the statistics and before the podcast, I was looking at the recent like stats in the published by the Census Bureau. There's only 25% of chefs that are women. And then I Googled, you know, like top women chefs, you know, you have a whole list. So I don't know about like 55 different visual of, of pictures of chefs, you know, that pops up. And again, I did the math and there's only 25%, you know, of those results that are, you know, women. So Elizabeth, why is it so? So do you think that the, the situation is evolving? Do you think there's progress, you know, in recent years? People are talking more about, you know, women chef. Well, certainly people are talking about it in a different light these days, sort of. But I think it's because the whole current restaurant structure has been built by men. So it's not that women that women haven't been in charge for hundreds of years before all this of food making around the world. It's just that the current structure that's adapted from mostly European white males is the same structure that we're living with right now. And we still have vestiges from the past in our systems, which is like COVID, thank God, has like sort of made us like have a shine a mirror in our face and say, wait a minute, this is everything the way it's supposed to be or could, couldn't it be better? Like, what are we doing with food? What are we doing in all of these systems? We know this is a very fragile system. Do you see the bro code? It's changing in the restaurant's mentality? I think so. I think next generation right now, people that are actually in doing restaurants right now don't have the same. I mean, they're, they don't. They don't have the same systems at all. I think we still have a lot to deal with. But I think it's just because a lot of our just a lot of our, you know, capitalistic systems are built by men. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious. Juliet and, and Elizabeth, so how often would you see people ask you what is like being a female chef? I, Juliet, do not get asked that question often. I get asked the, more of like, what's it like to be a, an entrepreneur? And I feel like that's a better title for me because, you know, I, I do way more than cook, probably less cooking than, and than anything run, running a restaurant, which is something that has, you don't really understand that until you're in it. And then suddenly you're like, wait, I don't, I don't cook anymore. I'm paying people or I'm talking to the plumber or, you know, running to get something that they need because we're about to run out. So I don't get asked as much about being a female chef, but about how did, you know, my journey as a, as a woman entrepreneur and into the restaurant world. That would be me. What about you, Elizabeth? Not anymore because they know that they are going, you are going to hit them with your sword. <laughs> yeah. They don't ask me anymore because all they have to do is watch the movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Pete, so how did the project evolve in time? Because, you know, when you watch the whole documentary, there's obviously like two big topics, you know, in the documentary. One around like female chefs and what it takes, you know, to become a female chef, the experience, what they are facing, the challenges and so on. And then there's a whole story, you know, about Chef Fatima Ali, you know, as well. 
It's funny because this was initially, I kind of thought about it as a series where each week we would, or each episode, we would focus on one female chef. And I don't know, it was not moving like we, like I, I, I liked it too. So I said, let me make this a feature film and focus on everybody. And then after what had happened with Fatima, I thought I have to honor her legacy and I have to address this, what happened to us while making this movie that we lost this person. And I want it more than anything to, yes, I wanted to talk about this movement because it's so important. And I know that Fatima would, I think, be be okay with the fact that her legacy helped shed a small light on something that was really important to her, you know? So I thought that mixing the two, the two stories together would actually help the movement and also help to sort of continue on her legacy and expose everybody who maybe had not heard her story to to finally hear it in full, to know how hard she worked and to know, you know, where she came from mm-hmm. and how much mm-hmm. this food business meant to her and cooking meant to her and what it did for her in, you know, the most tragic times of her life that she was able to have some therapy in it. And so it became even more important to focus on her. And did you, like uh, Juliet and Elizabeth, did you meet Fatima as well, like in the making of the movie or before? Yeah, I never, I, I had never met Fatima until we did a photo shoot with her, with all of us. And I met her that day and she was just so incredibly strong and courageous. She came with her sister. I was there with my sister and she just, she, she, I mean, she, it, she was, it was an honor to meet her. I mean, and knowing that she, where she was in her journey with cancer and her life and only being given one year, she was still very optimistic and No, she may not have been very smiley or anything, but she was, you know, she was, she was, she was beautiful spirit. Yeah. And she talked about this, the, this positivity and being optimistic, you know, during the, and you felt that immediately when you met her. Like in the documentary, that's, uh, yeah, that was very, um, I feel lucky because I, I got to cook with her at Pebble Beach Food and Wine before the documentary. You know, it was the first time I had her food and it was the only time I had her food actually. I mean, she described who she was and I was like, oh my God, of course, but I'd only seen her on TV before, you know, on Top Chef. And then, and then I was like, oh my God, she's, yeah, she's right, totally in the middle of dealing with cancer. And she was so cool and fun. And we were just like, oh, we have to hang out more. And I just loved her. I don't know if you know this, Elizabeth, but she told me, or her parents, her mother told me recently that when she found out that you were going to be in her name as chef, she's like, and Elizabeth Faulkner is going to be in it. I have to do this. Oh, that's so so sweet. yeah it was just awesome she was she was just really cool and and really funny too Mm -hmm. by the Mm -hmm. way yeah Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay so more chefs want to be recognized you know from and and i know elizabeth that is the case for you talking you know several times with you to be recognized of being great chef you know not because of your gender not because of color not because of, of race how can we change the restaurant industry and especially like the, the food media? Myopia about this topic. I mean, I'm, a, I'm very, I have an unusual perspective on this, I think, and I might be different than a lot of my colleagues. I personally think that, and I'm stereotyping, because I, I generally like female cooking more than male cooking, but that's just my personal preference. And I think that we do have different attitudes and different ways of running kitchens and, and just a different way of handling food. It's not that I don't like male chef cooking, but I prefer the way a lot of females approach their cooking. And 
their family of restaurant uh, the way they rest they the way they restaurant tour. I think that personally, when people say male and female chef, you know, it's kind of like athleticism in a way. It's like I don't think that there's a problem for me to distinguish between male and female chefs. I I don't I don't think it's a derogatory to say this is one of the best female chefs. I just think that more female chefs need to be recognized and not in the same category because it doesn't make any sense. You don't have somebody running, you know, a 400 meter race, male and female. And once in a while, you find somebody who is a better tennis player than anybody. And they happen to be female, like Billie Jean King or somebody. And then, you know, so one, yeah, of course, once in a while that happens. But like, I think that there's different, I just think that there's a difference between the cooking. I just think that we should give more attention to the female cooking because it seems to have a better approach to the way we handle the world. So how, a lot of male cooking. how would you describe then this difference in, in terms of cooking between a uh, female chef and, and... It's an attitude. It's not per, it's not showboaty and parady. It's not look at me, look at me, look at me. It's very different that way. It's sort of like, I mean, I think that some, you know, some of us have adopted to that kind of behavior. I certainly have because I can, I can be, look at me, look at me, look at me. <laughs> But it's not my, it's actually something that I've learned to, to, yeah. in order to survive in the business. Got it. Because you need to lead, probably to have a little bit of this in order to get the attention from the media, then to be covered, and then to you know have like people you know hearing about you know who you are. It's much deeper. What what you're saying is exactly what our society is about, and that's it. Always pays more attention to men. Period. And the way the media, the way you know, if I'm in a room saying, "Hey, here's my idea." It still it takes me about five times to tell somebody like, right that's remember that's the idea it it's just the way it is it's bizarre I, I've grown up with two brothers and it's fascinating it that you know I I have had to become a louder more aggressive female in order to survive in a very male dominated world that I've constantly been in and I think that how can we change the me you know the media's myopia around it is a, 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 by something like this film or the original idea, which was, you know, series that focus on these women, because now there's such, it's so much easier to broadcast to a wider net through the internet, through YouTube and things like that. So yeah, having us have more FaceTime with young women out there will, will start to change the dynamic. I think where, yes, you see more female chefs, so you see them out there and you can aspire to you know, do something like them. So I think a movie like Her Name is Chef is, is you know, a start. I'm sure there's others out there that have already done it, but, you know, this is one big example, right? Yeah, now. it's the right timing too. And so I, I'm curious, Elizabeth, you were talking about the fact that this is a model, like a male mod model that came from Europe. Do you think that there is a difference as a female chef working in the US or in Europe versus like other parts of the world? I remember there was like two chefs like in the, the documentary. I don't remember her, their names, but uh, they were talking about the fact that where they were coming from, and I think it's from, from Asia, that, uh, you know, most of the people cooking over there are women. And so when they arrive in the U.S., then they say like, we have the women, you know, it's all, it's all male dominated, like, uh, you know, the world of chefs dominated by male. So I was curious to see like, is it something... Europe and US, and it's different in other part of the world? I mean, I was in China at the end of, well, like 2019 in August and for like a month. And it's very male dominated in a lot of ways there too, because it's kind of like almost modeling after this country in a lot of ways. 
and I think like when you have stuff like Michelin and you know certain certain media channels for so much time that have, that have been so focused on what the guys are doing or stereotyping the kind of cooking that men and women do differently. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a constant imaging thing. Like I think that the, the network, sometimes the, you know, food television will absolutely stereotype the, you know, what guys do out adventurously cooking and women, you know, are in a studio kitchen making bunk cakes. And it's like, you know, like, it's just not a reality picture of what it's really like. And I, so it's really hard to group all restaurants into one sort of like, you know, where are the female chefs? Well, there, there's tons of women cooking all kinds of stuff, but we're not talking about those kind of restaurants, you know, like, or are we? Because should we be talking more about those restaurants? I mean, people, I would say when I, it's more like women are feeding people constantly, you know, that's the truth. Whether it's like they've been that whether they're cooking at home or they're cooking, you know, as a part time job or they're professional chefs or they're, you know, whatever. But I feel like there's there are just tons of women cooking cooks. But when you talk about the chef, the stereotypical chef title and then you start to get these statistics and then it just it just perpetuates itself. It's like it's just constantly running, running after its own tail. Like, yeah, well, we don't have all of the same jobs because we didn't we're not most of the women chefs that I've grown up with haven't been interested in participating in that particular game, I would say. I, you know, my background is Jamaica and England. In Jamaica, I mean, that's all of, I I grew up around all women cooking all the time. And then none of them had the title chef. They were, you know, grandma, aunt, they were the housekeepers there. And that's where, who I was inspired by and, you know, learned from and watched cook were those women. And again, Elizabeth brings up a good point. I mean, we are always feeding people as, as women just, and you know, to generalize, it's true. That's what we have done. So yes, you give the title chef. Now you give it female chef, but you know, it's, we've been doing this for hundreds of years. Sure. Uh, you yes. know, so. I, I remember interviewing Chris Cosantino from San Francisco, you know, on the podcast and he was saying, you know, there's been a hundred of French, you know, women that cooked French food before me. There was hundreds of Italian women that cooked Italian food before me. And there's been hundreds of American women that, you know, cooked um, American food before me and they did it better than I can do it. So, but the problem is the because of the model and the structures, the pictures and the mindsets change when you move from, you know, women cooking for people into like a restaurant you know, model, I guess. Correct. I mean, did I, I again, same situation. I talked to uh, Kim Alter. That's probably, you know, Elizabeth, you know, the chef from uh, Nightbird in, in San Francisco. And she mentioned to me like the challenges that she faced when she opened a restaurant and she had to bring her husband with her and all the meetings, you know, with, you know, everyone that she was dealing with because they didn't want to listen to her. And that was her project. And, you know, that was her baby. And that, that was like ridiculous. So I, I don't know, Juliet, if you face something similar with your sister when you open uh, the edge. Oh my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was very much a novice. You know, I had the, you know, the dream, oh, let me open a restaurant. Can't be that, you know, as I love cooking and I had no idea really what I was stepping into. And yes, I dealt with 
contractors who, you know, ripped me off, who, you know, who stole money from me. I had to take a dude with me to get my money back. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, I had plumbers who, you know, made me wait three, four months after my opening date before I could get the gas turned on because of the poor work they did. So yes. And now I have, you know, I have a chef, a a kitchen full of male cooks. And, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, I don't feel like they really want to listen to me the way they would listen to a, a, a male chef if he was talking to them with the more baritone voice or because I don't, I'm so nice, you know, and I, I, they look at me more motherly rather than as their boss. And I didn't know that walking in, I, didn't, I had no idea about any of those dynamics because it was really just me. I worked for myself. I was, you know, I did my own thing and I worked with other team members. I was never a boss and becoming a boss of the kitchen, which is what a chef is. You're the head of the kitchen. That's a whole nother dynamic that, you know, you grow into slowly. You don't suddenly walk in and you know how to boss, you know, you know how to, you learn to do that. And, you know, it takes time and you definitely make mistakes and learn your lessons. But yeah, that's, I'm still learning them. Human. Yes. Yeah. The other problem I think is that, and Julia, tell me if you if you think this is true. I I feel like I know this has happened to me in my past too, where like I felt like we needed to charge a certain amount of money or price point at the restaurant for for a anything for a croissant to a you know steak and or a hamburger or whatever, and people would be like, that seems like an awful lot for that, you know. And why why are you harassing me about the price point? I'm telling you, I'm not trying to rip you off. I'm just telling you it's. The cost as much as the product is really good. The labor costs something. I'm talking about like San Francisco days, but, and then I remember like even opening restaurants in New York and I'd be arguing with the owner who was a lot younger than me, male. And I'd be like, we have to charge. This is how much it, this is what we charge because this, I know what the overhead is. And I know, you know, and he'd be like, Oh, but that just seems like a lot of money for, you know, pasta. I'm like $18 is not a lot for pasta, man. It's New York. Get a grip. And I always feel like, why am I always defending price point? And I feel like that's not a male problem at all. I don't. And I think that there's only a handful of women that I can think of that are like, okay, I really have to charge this much money. And hopefully they don't get harassed about it. But I've had customers be mad at me. Like, you know, I think that you're just charging too much for stuff. And I'm like, people do not understand I feel you. I do get it. And it even comes from food critics. This is like, I remember a food critic telling me one time, I'm like, he was like, this is a long time ago. So the price will, it would be $20 today. But I said, you know, my sandwich was $5. I'm like, but we made the peanut butter. We made the jelly and we made the bread. (laughs) 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 So, I mean, it it was interesting, like Juliet, you mentioned, you know, being like the, the lead of, you know, of the kitchen that you had challenges because facing your team that, you know, it's male team. So both of you, of course, led, you know, kitchens with, I'm, I'm sure for you, Elizabeth, as well with men, you know, in your staff. So I'm just curious, did you need to work harder to assert yourself, you know, as their boss? And can you talk to us about that, that experience? Because that was like a comment during like the, you know, in in the documentary, thinking like listening to all of you, you know, talking about that experience. Well, I this is my first time. You know, this breath. The Edge is seven years old, and prior to the Edge, I worked in catering. So, uh, you know, I I this is my first time being the 
boss and leader of the kitchen. So I think I was more trying to prove it to myself, like how I could be, you know, a good leader, you know, and yes, there's probably somewhere in there, like, do they think I'm tough enough? Do they think I'm, am I, you know, they're getting the message and let me show them that I can lift this box too. And I don't need them. So yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, like you, you know, you have these conversations in your head, but yeah, after, after a while of doing, repeating that you, I settled in myself and I understand what my strengths are and when I can be like, no, this is for you to do. And I'm not asking you again. Mm. For you, for you, Elizabeth, any experiences? I've had a lot of different experiences because I've been, because I'm 55 now. So like, I remember when I was, I opened my own place when I was 30, I would definitely, when I was in, in other kitchens, like I always looked really tough. I mean, I always had like a even shorter crew cut And I think, and I'm, and I'm openly gay. So, I, I mean, I think people were just like, not in, they were scared of me, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but then there was definitely like, so when I became my own boss and I, in my thirties, I felt like, and it was in San Francisco. So, and I had male and female employees from all over the place. And I felt like that was probably such a heyday for me because people treated me like I was a hyper artistic person and this was our studio and we made really cool stuff. And and then when I got into my forties, people started, then I started feeling like matronly and I wasn't like, I was like, I'm not, why is everybody starting to act like I'm their mother? Cause I don't, I don't, I don't have any kids. And I, at the time I was like, I don't know if I want these as my kids either. <laughs> and, and then, and then, you know, when I moved to New York and here I was in my late forties and, and then, Same thing. I felt like the, some of the guys would like be like, you know, oh, I can't come to work today because I'm, you know, hungover. And I was like, get your shit together and come to work. And and I and then I felt like they were like just trying to like hide things from mm -hmm. mommy, you know. Mm -hmm. And I really resented that feeling of like, hey, you know, I mean, I get it. We all we talk about the restaurant business being like a family, but I was like, I I, I think of myself as being somebody very professional, and you know, like we have work to do, and I don't have time for these like your therapy and your, and your games. I just don't. So I, I didn't have, I don't have space for it. I'd be like, I would have to be a therapist most of the time and say, look, let's get it together. When we're at work, this is what we're doing. You know? So what's your advice for, you know, maybe like women sh uh, chefs that are listening and that are facing that, you know, that situation? I think it's to not fall into that role playing, honestly. You know, you just got to like remind people, Hey, this is a, pro we're pros. Like this is the real deal. This is, you know, we are, I used to say in the last restaurant I opened on the Upper West Side, this is we're, this is Broadway. Every night we got to do a, you know, a great show and we don't have time for our own stuff. Now, separately, I do tell people to like take care of themselves, exercise and do stuff that counters the level at which we work at, which yeah. is beyond what any Broadway performer does. Yeah. You know? I mean, my advice would be to, you know, to, uh, to, I started mine in my 40s and I have a child. So I came in looking like, you know, I mean, I a teenager at the time, but he, he, so I already had the matronly title already walking in. <laughs> so yes, I would say you want to establish like from the start, even if you don't have it totally in you, you want to establish a, you know, a boundary between you and your staff, whether they're male or females that, you know, that keeps, 
keeps you a little bit separate and a little bit of fear of you, you know what I mean? Whether they know what it is exactly or not. I mean, I just think that's important because you, you know, that's, it is like you're a parent, you know, whether you're a mother or a father, you're a parent to all the, these people that are working for you, but you know, you have to maintain, you know, composure and sometimes being too nice or being too friendly in the beginning because you are afraid of something of losing them or not, you know, not, you know, then it's okay. If they leave, somebody else will come. It's okay. You know, to tell yourself it's, it's okay. You don't have to be everybody's friend or, you know, everybody's mother or a therapist or anything like that. What you're doing is you want to produce good food every day and you want to do it you know, the way you want it to be done. And that's how it should be done. So let's talk a little bit about your your cooking and your style of cooking. So Elizabeth, I had you on, on the show, but uh, there's how, let's say, a way that you can describe maybe yourself and, and your food style, maybe in like three words. I would say adventurous, open. It's like open-minded. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is that a word by itself? And then just... Life inspired is probably the best way to describe it. Okay, Ooh, you I, know, I want to it's, that one. <laughs> That's a good one. That's an excellent one, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Juliet? Yeah, I would say uh, three words. I would say comforting, although that is such an overused word. But it is the food that I cook and have grown up with. It's very it's comforting food, and so as this. Basics, not basic, but simple, you know, not a lot of ingredients. And that's like 20 words. And yes, life, it's life experience has created, you know, the types of food that that you see on the plates. Things that I've eaten in other countries or I I ate growing up or things I loved, I will, you know, use those and transform them, you know, in small ways, but always appetizing. Okay. I thought you would uh, you would say Juliet like Jamaican, British, and New York. <laughs> I could. There you go. Okay, you can repeat, right? I can say that. Okay. <laughs> right. So, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the food concept at uh, the Edge? Yes. So, the Edge is a fusion of Jamaican, British, and New York. It is a blend of those three cultures. I was born in New York, my sister and I. After my sister was born, she's 18 months younger than me. My parents, who are from Jamaica and England, they decided that they wanted to move to Jamaica. So, we all moved to Jamaica. So, I lived in Jamaica as a very small child until about seven or eight years old. So, I grew up with my grandmother and cousins and aunts and Becky, who you see in the film, who was, you know, one of the, she's a cook for, 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 the, for our house down there. And so, the restaurant is a, a fusion of those three cultures. I spent summers either in Jamaica or in England when we moved back to New York in the early 80s. And so, I, saw all the different, ate all the different foods from those cultures. So I said, when it was time to finally open the restaurant, I just drew a list and I put England, Jamaica, and New York. And I just chose some of my favorite foods or foods that I know people would love. And that was where the uh, menu came up from. Okay. And I see that even from your, your brunch, it's still yeah. cluster like that, correct? Yeah, it so, is. So, and is people love that. And they sort yeah. of choose and there's, you know, like we did, we do, I I did a fish and chips, except I added coconut flakes into the fish and chips so that sure. okay. you can use the both. And it's like 
that's turned into coconut fish burger and we do fish <laughs> tacos with it. It's like whatever I could do with that coconut fish, I do. Blending influences as well. Blending influences. It's not just, you know, one country, sure. one country. It's the fusion okay. because that's what I am. That's who I am. Did both, uh, did you have both of you, or either of you, like female chefs that inspired you and, and that you consider your role model? model? Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. I know, Elizabeth, that you have a, a long list. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I do. But go ahead, Julia. Yes. I mean, I do. Again, I, you know, I was, I, 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 I was never, I never aspired to be a chef. I sort of fell into the, sh the chef role, you know, sort of accidentally. I'm still trying to own it and wear the title if, if I'm supposed to. I don't, I don't really love the title. I just, I feel like I'm a very much an entrepreneur running a, a business, building a brand, you know, and food is a part of it, but it's more than that. It's like, you know, I'm inviting people to eat and gather and, you know, it's, 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 it's a beautiful thing. It's a lot of hard work. I have been surrounded by female role models my whole career in the culinary world. I mean, I, it's in catering, in the catering world, I, I worked with many women who were chefs and cooks in the catering world. And I, and I, Only now, looking back, realize, oh, that she taught me so much. I helped one, two girls start their own catering business, and then they opened a restaurant in the Lower East Side, and I learned so much from them. Then I worked, uh, assisted another uh, girl who was doing kosher, a uh, woman who was doing kosher catering, and I was her assistant for several years and learned so much from her. So, I mean, and then I can just go back to like people in Jamaica right now. There's a woman called Lisa, whose name is Lisa Bins. And she has this place called Stush in the Bush, which is like a, uh, a fusion of rustic versus gourmet. And it's up in the mountains and it's an experience of eating there. And she's an inspiration to me right now. I love following her and all their creations. It's all vegetarian. I went to vegetarian cooking school. So anything vegetarian, I really love. So. Yeah, Elizabeth, yeah, Elizabeth. So Tracy Desjardins, obviously. Well, yeah, I used to work for Tracy, but even before Tracy, like Barbara Tropp and Joyce Goldstein were two on fire women in San Francisco. I mean, I feel lucky that I grew up in the restaurant business in, in the Bay Area because we already had a lot of really great chefs there. Cindy Paulson is still one of my favorite people. I just, she was just, she had like multiple restaurants and I always loved her food. It was just always so perfect. And then, of course, like Nancy Silverton has been a role model of mine forever because she started out in pastry and then has evolved into this amazing person running multiple projects all over the place. And I just she's always so inspiring because she just doesn't stop. And yeah, I mean, and like Nancy Oaks, I feel like we don't talk about her enough. And then, you know, we've got we had these two amazing, iconic California chefs, Judy Rogers and Alice Waters. So, I mean, I've just been surrounded by it. So the idea when people started asking these questions later, it was sort of bizarre. I'm like, what are you talking about? Sure. Everybody I know that's a great chef is yeah, female. You know? yeah. One of my first cookbooks that I ever got was the Alice Waters cookbook. It was mm -hmm. my favorite. I loved that. Yeah. And I can think about chefs from around the country back when I first started cooking in the early 90s that were you know, trailblazing back then to Odette Pipe, Odessa Piper. And see, and I got involved in Women Chefs and Restaurateurs 30 years ago. And so that was an organization that's not around anymore. We just shut it down right before the pandemic. But they were always calling attention to all of the female chefs that were doing such a great job around the country. 
you know, Anne Rosenzweig and Annie Quattrano. And I mean, I, I think around the country, there's just a lot of amazing people. And I just, I feel like, but, and then it's like fashion, they sort of forget, people forget, the media forgets about them. It's like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, there's yeah. actually even better than, they, it's not the same as fashion. Because we're, just because we're aging doesn't mean we don't have a job anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe with, you know, after the, the documentary, Her Name is Chef, then uh, you are going to inspire a new generation of, of women. You know, they are going to talk about, uh, they're already talk, going to talk and uh, talking about Elizabeth Faulkner, obviously, but, um, you know, Juliet Matters, Masters and then the, uh, the others, too. All of these chefs are amazing in here. I mean, I love all of their food, too. How is the documentary, Her Name is Chef, you know, uh, was received? Pete, maybe you can chat a little bit about that. Exactly what you just said about, you know, a lot of comments about the inspiration from really young girls that are, you know, 13, 14 year, year olds who now look at this industry and saw what everybody went through. But now it's like sort of evolving into a great, a better place. And they've been inspired by, you know, all six, including N7 with Leah's story in different in different ways you know what i mean so it's 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 been really nice to read some of that and of course you know people have just been totally uh caught up in what happened with fatima ali and whatnot so there's a lot of love coming to her direction for being an inspiration for someone who's going through a you know a cancer battle or or a battle of some sort that an illness battle of some sort and with you know with everything that happened last year sure. there's a lot of that mm-hmm. going around so I think it's speaking on a, a very large level to lots of different types of people. Yeah. So do uh, people talk to you about it? Like Elizabeth and, and Juliet about the, oh, yeah. the documentary? Yes. Yeah, I've had a few conversations. I have what waited to be stopped on the train or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. They want, to take, they want to take a selfie with you? No, I haven't been recognized yet. No, but no, um, right. no. I, I, yes, people who have seen it have said how wonderful they loved it. And there's a question that uh, you know you would have liked me to ask that I haven't asked. I'm sure Elizabeth is going to come up with something. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure, Elizabeth. No, <laughs> um, but you have been to so many interviews that you know, and and I'm sure. I'd, it's always the same type of questions. And then you said they never ask me this. What I'm always curious about in the questioning is I, I, like, I'd rather be asked, you know, what am, what's, what am I into right now? What am I cooking right now? What is like, what, or what am I excited about, you know, ingredient wise? And I think those are really good questions because not just create creatively, but like what, you know, I am definitely much more interested in what people are doing with vegetarian food. I also think that there's just so much to consider with, you know, what's seasonal and what's, we, we all have these, you know, catch, catchy phrases that we throw around constantly. And, and, you know, I really think that we have to seriously get down to business when it comes to what's seasonal and what you can, older cooking techniques and going back in, I mean, new ways of doing old things, basically. And I, I think we just have a responsibility that's so much more precious on this planet than just following, you know, honestly, following different different lobbyist groups that are so powerful, pushing different products around. In the, and so I'm just I, I'm so into trying to, like, take it all that back and make interesting food statements. 
Okay. So when you're talking about uh, old techniques, can you further develop uh, the thoughts? So obviously fermentation, you, you know, it's yeah, all that kind of stuff, of pickling and yep. freezing. And I went to this place recently in California in, in Sherman Oaks where these guys dry cure fish. And so they're not, it's just with cold temperature. So it's not, it's like dry aging a steak, but fish. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I never really heard of that. And it's so cool. This guy hangs all these fish and it's the way that like he rigged all the refrigerator, like the beverage refrigerators to run certain temperature. So from seven to 21, I think 21 day aged fish, just with cold, not with salt, not with smoking, but it's like, I'm so delicious. It doesn't even smell fishy in there. And I'm like, this is such a mind blowing concept to me. And I just, and it was so delicious. It's like the flavor is better, just like a steak, but this is an old world technique that I just have not ever read about. Yeah. And just, you know, every, just, I just love making stuff with my hands. So I just want to embrace that with, I, with even home cooks. I'm like, it's not about all the equipment. It's about cooking with your hands and learning by smell and, you know, feeling. It's like what Juliet says, you know, keeping it simple is one of the hardest things to do. And a lot of people, a lot of cooks can't do it. Yeah. It but do you time. think, do you think Elizabeth, this is as well, like an evolution of that comes with, you know, like getting older and more mature and so on that, you know, every time I talk to a lot of culinary leaders, they are, they are saying that when they were younger, they want to put their name, you know, out there. They want to be seen by the media. So they are trying to do something very specific. And as they are getting older and wiser, this is all about the produce and this is about being like simpler and, you know, and, you know, old techniques and, and so on. So do you think this is an evolution of age as well? I think it's definitely an evol evolution of, of a cook. I think it's not necessarily about your age. It's just about your experience and really coming down to making decisions based on less of like, let me show you how many things I can do. I know how to do a lot of things, but let me just show you how I can do a couple things, you know, masterfully and not have to go showboat a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. I say that. And then sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, my plate has 12 touches. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go uh, on the, the, the rapid fire question section. So I, one of my questions was, what are you most excited about right now? So <laughs> I'm guessing, Elizabeth, you covered that. So Juliet, what uh, are you excited about? I, I am, I, I, we are, in, since the filming of the Her Name is Chef, the, it, we have now opened a second space, my sister and I. We signed the pandemic, uh, the lease on the day they declared the pandemic. So go Juliet and Justine. <laughs> Been along here, but it was meant to just be a sort of a, a second space to be able to do private curated events and like dinner parties and sort of a more intimate experience with dinner parties and that sort of thing with guest chefs coming. So Elizabeth, maybe in the future, you know, we could do something like that. And then also to, we were going to do delivery and takeout for some of the top sellers at the edge. So we said, oh yeah, we can, because our kitchen is too small. We can't do this in here. Let's do this somewhere else. And then the pandemic hit and then suddenly I was delivering out of the edge. So now the second space is open. It's called Pickney Lane, which is like little sister to the edge. Pickney is a child in Jamaica. So that's on the east side of Harlem. So I'm excited about that. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot of work on my plate, but you know, I'm also excited about a hopeful vacation this summer. 
Yeah, you need it. I have not stopped. You know, I, you know, we kept feeding everyone through, you know, the whole pandemic, you know, to keep our doors open, which was uh, wonderful. But it's, yeah, it's been a long 18 months. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited about that. What's your favorite type of cuisine to cook? (laughs) Who wants to start first? Uh, I would say I like Italian food a lot. So I would say I, Italian or Mediterranean, that, that would be something I would go for. I'm not an excellent Italian cook, but that would be what I would want to cook. Mm. I like cooking Italian food, but I'm very excited about learning more Asian cuisines just because I went to China and Thailand for the first time. And I just, I just am sort of in love with a lot of those flavors and totally different style of cooking. Then I'm familiar. Even noodle making is, and like dumpling doughs are also different. Yeah. There are some, okay. you find some similarities and then you're like, oh yeah, this is kind of like that though. But I love, I love the steaming, the steamed rice noodles. I love making those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Pete, we haven't talked about you. What do you like cooking? Do you like to cook? I do love to cook, but I'm not as skilled as these other two ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, during the pandemic, I was making a lot of cocktails. That's about <laughs> okay. So okay, good. So what, what's your go-to cocktail, Pete? Uh, I don't know. Some sort of margarita. You know? <laughs> some sort of margarita. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I, can yeah. I just say that if I could answer that question again, I really love to cook vegetarian because I don't get to cook it as much anymore. And I studied at the Natural Gourmet Institute which is a focused on health and healing and all, you know, all vegetarian. We had a couple of days where we learned about fish and, but we did cultures, we did Mexican food, we did Italian. So, but I love anything vegetables. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. Which new restaurants have you been to recently that is worth sharing? That's been a, this is a hard year to I talk know. about that. But it's like reopening a little bit. I've been already to, um, Three or four. I went to I went to Nami Nori last week, which was okay. really good, and that's the Timakis. It's mm. down. Oh, it's down on Bleecker. I want to say Nami Nori was excellent. I would recommend trying that. Okay, I'll write that down. Nami Nori, really, really, really good. Obviously, Juliet, you know I'm going to Loring Place yes, tomorrow night. Loring Place, I would say. <laughs> With your, your your older friend former from school. Well, yeah, former exactly. schoolmate. <laughs> Dan Kluger. And, and what about you? You're here in the city at the moment, you know, from LA. So maybe you have right. been to something interesting. I mean, I've been um, to, a, you know, a couple of friends' restaurants. Pete, you'll be happy to know that I'm five blocks from Raza pizzeria nice you must be going there every night (laughs) (laughs) i've seen your post on raza yeah yeah. and then i went to table 87 for pizza the other day in brooklyn because that's my that was my favorite slice shop when i lived over there and uh, and i've had sylvia's food at larina i ate a whole bowl of annulati the other day and i think it was meant to share for two people but i just yeah and this schedule is kind of weird over here so i'm not really getting out everywhere but i'm trying to hit some I am going to go to Gage and Tolner on Sunday and I'm super excited about that because I, that was a restaurant I went to right the like the day before the pandemic hit and as a friends and family dinner so I, I I'm excited to go back there and see those guys yeah and and then in LA I went to Nancy Silverton's new restaurant the Bearish at the Roosevelt Hotel and that's super exciting and fun it's a cool old property and has lots of stories and it 
feels like a twilight, looks like twilight zone setting or something in there, but then it's Nancy Silverton and her cool stuff going on. And that's fun. Yeah. There's a lot to try in LA that I am just finally kind of getting out in seeing. So I have a cheesy question for you. So that's your last weekend on earth and there's no pandemic, of course. So what city are you eating in? Why do you guys Anywhere, always come up world. with these questions? <laughs> I, know, I know. You know, you need to have those. And it's a rapid fire, so you should not even think too much about it. I'm going to go to a local, locally owned restaurant on the coast of France. I don't know what it's called, and I'm going to eat and drink some lovely wine. I'm going to say um, Sicily because I haven't been there yet, but I'm going this year, and I have a Ooh, feeling I'm really going to love it. Oh, I was going to say Sicily. <laughs> I saw Clayley Tucci's in Sicily, and I said I have to go there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Pete? I'm going New York City. I'm sure <laughs> New York I'm, City. You know I'm going to find something that I'm happy with there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Any uh, most embarrassing cooking moments that you can share with us? Yes. my Probably one of my it was definitely one of the first cakes I made for uh, a wedding. Some chef had asked me to make a cake for their friend's wedding. And I was a pastry cook at Moss's restaurant in best French restaurant in San Francisco at the time. And, and I was like, I, I don't really know how to make wedding cakes. I never, I only made, I had only made like one and it was more of a croquembouche. And so, and this guy was like, no, I think you, I feel like you can make a really good cake. And I was like, all right, I went to their kitchen, made a cake, built the whole thing up. It was probably four tiers, three or four tiers. I made like poured sugar stained glass that I made all put all around it and then put it on, on you know, it came out of the refrigerator, put it on a room service cart to take out to the guy's car. And we we're going to drive up to Pacific Heights, which isn't that far, but it's over a few hills from um, downtown San Francisco. We, and it was one of those extremely rare days in San Francisco where it was like 97 degrees outside. <laughs> And at least, and it was super hot. And this guy had an old pacer. I don't know if anybody remembers that car, but it was a piece of junk car and it had no air conditioning. And I was just like, oh no. And so um, I sat in the back with the cake on a sheet pan because I didn't know anything about building cakes at the time. And so I wrapped my whole body around it and we're driving up these hills and I'm like, oh God. And it started melting and sliding. And, and by the time I got to the mansion in Pacific Heights, where these two female chefs were the most badass chefs in the city at the time. And they were really tough and really tight. And I walked into their perfect immaculate kitchen with buttercream all over me and like <laughs> one little offset spatula. And I was just like, where's the walk-in? And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so they're like looking at me like, what in the world is that? And so I go in there and I have to take all these sugar pieces off, run water over them, which is a bad idea for cooked sugar. And then dry them off with paper towels and then try to spackle this thing back together and put it back together and put it on the piano. And then I was mortified because I'm like, okay, those girls think that I'm such an asshole and I don't, what am I doing? Then I, and the chef was like a guest at the wedding. I was like, bye. And I walked home with a sheet pan and an offset spatula crying. And I was like, I'm never making cakes again. And then, <laughs> then I, you know, have made like thousands. So. <laughs> I, I cannot, I'm That was a nice long time for me. And I still can't think of the most embarrassing. <laughs> I said like to Ju- <laughs> Juliet, you have a challenge here. Yeah. me out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to edit you out. Yeah, okay. I think Elizabeth's stories is, is the winner on that one. 
<laughs> okay, Juliet, so uh, for you, because I already, uh, you know, had Elizabeth's answer on this. What's your top three cookbook that inspired you the most? So Alice Waters, her first cookbook, um, called Eat, Eat Caribbean. And then there's this cookbook, it's called Provisions. It just came out and it's by these two sisters in Jamaica. Their names are Michelle and Suzanne Russo. Is amazing and it's all vegetarian, all vegetarian recipes. But it, it discovers the culture. It, it it looks at all the culture of, of of Caribbean cooking and the roots of it. And I it, I connect with it a, a, a whole lot. Very good. So thank you so much, guys, for you know sharing the time with us uh, today. I really appreciate it. I wish you all the best and all the success with uh, the documentary. Her name is Chef. Thank. You. And uh, hopefully, you know, we'll talk um, to you soon about like other topics yeah. in the future. Thank Absolutely. you. It's yeah. a pleasure, Emmanuel. Yes, thank you. Nice to meet you, thank Juliet. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice to see you guys. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on any podcast app where you usually listen to podcasts like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Word of mouth is the best chance for a podcast to grow its audience. So please share the episodes with one person today. It is very easy to do it from your phone. If you are on Instagram, please follow us at Flavors Unknown. You can find the show notes of all our episodes on the website flavorsunknown.com. Next week, my guest will be Chef Kelly English from restaurants Iris Second Line and the fast casual concept Finos in Memphis, Tennessee. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review. Find the show notes at flavorsunknown.com. And if you want to join the Flavors Unknown community, search Flavors Unknown on Instagram and Twitter.